Find Your Feet with the Find Your Feet podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Find Your Feet podcast. I'm obviously Hannie Olston and being the host and founder of this podcast. Today I want to introduce you to a wonderful friend of mine, Isa. Now Isa inspires me because of her exuberance for life, her playfulness, her love of learning and also her phenomenal knowledge which comes in the form of chronic pain and her background in her specialty which is physiotherapy. Isa is incredibly well educated. She has worked right up through and to a master's of science in medical science, which was in pain management. But as I said, her background is actually in physiotherapy and previous to that studies in chiropractics. She was born in Namibia, um, spent a lot of time living in Cape Town and actually in her latter years in America, but has since come to Tasmania in 2006, where she took up uh, employment in as a physiotherapist in a, physio, in a sports physiotherapy clinic, but on the sideline was working in the Royal Hobart Hospital in the pain unit, where she developed a fascina- fascination with the concept of pain and chronic pain management. More recently, she's been working at a specialist pain clinic in Hobart where there's a multidisciplinary approach to pain with a psych and a couple of other pain specialists, including two physiotherapists. I guess why I brought Easter onto this uh, podcast was because I was really interested to delve into the world of pain. For anyone who's active, anyone who really lives in the world, they're going to have a, um, I guess, an introduction to pain at some point in their lives. And fascinatingly, one in five people globally will experience pain and, and that residual pain. The other thing that I read when I was reading up before the podcast is that 64% of people with chronic pain will also have another chronic condition or report another chronic condition, and this is in the form of diabetes, cardiovascular health, cancer, etc. So pain is a big problem. But if we're also in the athletic world, you know, pain is a part of everything that we do. And I guess I became interested in what at what point is pain not normal because I don't want to downplay it, but should be experienced versus when it has become a sensitization of our system. Because at the end of the day, as you'll come to realize through this conversation, pain has a neural construct to it. So yeah, this this conversation is really fascinating. I'm I'm biased because I find this topic fascinating. I'm also fascinated by the um, the hormonal and stress inputs that uh, are associated with pain, and also probably from my personal experiences over time, I'm really interested by the impact that trauma has in our in our histories and how that might influence our experiences of pain in the modern on the modern world. So yeah, this conversation is full, it's heavy at times, it's it's fascinating, and I hope you get just as much out of it as me. Finally, before we get into it, I just want to obviously give a little bit of a plug for the new trail running guidebook that's just been released. It's now available at Find Your Feet as hard copies. You can also buy the paperback versions through Amazon and a couple of other publishers. 
but you can also get the ebook now. Um, so ebook is now available on Kindle, iBooks, many other um, platforms. So if you want to jump over to www.honeyalston.com.au, go to the page for the guidebook and you can find all the direct links there. Also a tiny plug for my business, Find Your Feet. We love to support people to find their feet. It's the um, reason for my being at the moment. Um, We love to support you. So if you jump over to findyourfeet.com.au, you can get 20% off your first order or 10% ongoingly as a member with us. Alrighty, that's enough from me. Let's jump right into this conversation with the lovely Issa. what I see today's conversation being and one is that the stuff around pain and understanding mm-hmm. pain and how it manifests and and the and to be able to differentiate like it's it's probably the biggest thing that I see in the people that I work with and when I listen to people and I hear their stories is and their concerns is that they don't know whether they're feeling pain and it's a pain that they should stop at or whether um they're being soft and they should run through pain like I, because I don't think we're ever taught about pain mm. so first of all that's where I want to go but the other side is um I know the way you play mm. <laughs> you are I think you're probably the most playful person I know and I'm curious to I'm curious to explore that about your approach to exercise life vitality um and health in general like mm. I just have a real fascination by that side as well so, like, if you're happy with it, that's, like, mm-hmm. pretty much the two places I'd love to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd probably like to start with the pain stuff mm-hmm. because it fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at the beginning, like, I'd, I'd love it if you could share a little bit of your knowledge about how – about the construct of pain, like, how it manifests, where it comes from. Is it a tissue thing or is mm-hmm. it a neural thing? Because mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot in that mm-hmm. straight away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I often draw. When I do this to patients, I do a whole drawing. Yeah. You know, and I start that off, and, and so that, that often helps. But anyway, we can, we can see how we go with art drawing. <laughs> <laughs> and if we can, like, speak up a little, that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go for it. No, so, so draw it for me. So if, if, I, um, if I'm running along and... I feel something on my calf muscle, for mm-hmm. example. Like, what is happening there? Is it the tissue giving me pain? Is it my brain seeing the thing and giving me pain? Like, mm-hmm. I know it's really complicated, but, like, if can you break it down a little bit for me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, if you have a... So, pain is always an output of the brain. Mm-hmm. So you might have a nociceptive driver, which is your calf muscle that might feel a bit of a sprain. So you have detectors in your tissue that detects maybe a slight tensioning of the tissue or a lengthening of the tissue or a pressure on the tissue. And that will then send a message to your brain to where is this coming from so that you can locate where that is coming from. Mm-hmm. Because pain is first and foremost an alarm system your body okay but that message will also go to an area where you store memory and history so if you've had a whole history of calf injuries 
and you might have a really important race coming up next week, you will probably have a much bigger pain output because your brain remembers, oh, you've had these problems before, you've really struggled with it, you might start worrying about your shoes, you might start having a whole load of thought processes that come from that. The next area that it'll go to is that your context. So mm-hmm. where, what sort of context are you running up on the mountain? Are you needing a home? And that whole other context of what is happening in the next week or why am I running? Am I running just for fun and I'm enjoying it and I can actually just stop and just walk and that pain will probably disappear? Or do I feel, or have I got this pressure in me? I've got to run 20Ks and I've got to do it at such and such a speed. Okay, so that's the context. Then it'll go to your emotions, your thoughts, and your beliefs. Okay, so that's that whole other thing because pain is usually an unpleasant experience and it's usually connected with some kind of emotional response. Nobody's really happy about ever having pain. It usually comes at a time when you don't want it. And then it comes with your thoughts and beliefs, your previous experiences, but also your, um, you know, what you're thinking about this particular pain at the moment. And are you starting to catastrophize this? So again, it links in with that whole context and everything. Oh my God. Does that make sense? Oh my God, yes. And And then it is still connected. So then the other area that it'll go to is all your senses, your vision, hearing, taste, touch, sense of smell and all that sort of stuff. So for example, one of my guys is a baker. He hurt his back while he pulled a freshly baked tray of bread out of the oven. Huge problems with workers' compensation. Context of that whole experience was absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. He stopped working, sitting in his couch all day long, depressed, lost his relationship, da-da-da, the whole thing. And he came to me and he said, do you know what, my pain's always worse on a Tuesday. And I'm thinking, Tuesday? So we actually figured out that his neighbor bakes bread on a Tuesday, the smells wafting over, will increase his low back pain because his brain is associating that with that whole thing oh my gosh so and there's a lot of research out there in terms of even whiplash type injuries if you've had a whiplash injury in a car accident when you drive past that same area again you'll start you know even having that autonomic nervous system response you'll feel a bit sweaty you'll feel a bit nauseous even though you're you know your logic tells you you're fine you're safe but your brain will remind you be careful this is last time where a lot of trouble happened so and it'll just start that whole pain response going does that make sense oh my gosh yes it's like raising so much for me straight away i mean a lot of the listeners that seem to be attracted into the podcast have an athletic background Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them, you know, aspire towards events and things like that. And I guess I raised that because there's a very, very common thing that happens when people start to taper into events that niggles set in, oh, is that, that ITB, is that coming back, you know? um, And I always sort of wondered what it was about this where it just I wondered if it was more just catastrophizing or whether there was actually like a real sensation of pain coming on um so that's one example that it is a real sensation pain is always real okay pain is always real it's never just in your head it is an output from your brain but it is always real my dad used to say to me, if I stubbed my toe as a kid, he'd be like, 
Or imagine what it'll be like when you have when you have children, or like stop being neurotic. Like, it, but it, but I raise that because I think, especially the athletic people who know how to punish themselves a little bit when they're out playing hard. But like, sometimes you do have that sort of mentality of like, am I being neurotic? Is this really something that I should bother going to see a physio about, or is it? you know yeah should I just work through it or ignore it yeah so you're starting to work with your thoughts that have immediately come up and you can reframe your thoughts so you can say you say to yourself like your father said oh honey that's okay don't worry you know don't that's nothing it's going to be fine so possibly you had enough trust in him to then reformulate that thought oh okay so actually it's not that bad I haven't caused any major tissue damage and therefore you can, that your brain, your cognition, your forebrain, it will downturn that pain output. So how do you, I mean, it's a huge question, I'm sure, but like, how do you then interpret pain? Like, how do you, how do you know whether it's something that you can downplay and reframe your thoughts on and just move forward versus needing to actually like address the pain yeah it's a difficult one so generally the brain errs on the side of caution so generally your brain's most important function is to protect you Mm -hmm. so to make sure that you're okay and sort of it assesses how dangerous is this how dangerous is this input that has come in But it also assesses how important is this at this moment in time. So you probably know about people that are in a footy game or an athlete that's starting to feel this pain, but they know they've got 10 more games to run Mm. and they virtually, they know they really have a good chance of being first or winning the race. And they will actually, the brain will not put out that pain because it's much more important to win the race that they've trained for for years Mm. than giving that pain output. That pain will probably come back, so to speak, when they're sitting at home resting, the race is over, and they think, oh my God, this is really painful. Yeah. But at that moment in time, the brain decided it was more important to win the race or the brain might decide, so this is the research that came up from this is from the um, uh, uh, First and Second World War with the soldiers. So they might be shot they're li- and their mate is lying next to them bleeding and they would actually feel no pain from their injury but pull their mate to safety and only once they feel safe will they feel pain. So I had a very personal experience of this. I was riding my bicycle with my friend Dennis, who's a a, um, physio for the All Blacks. Mm -hmm. And I hit a route and I flew over my bike, wham, onto my elbow. And I sort of lay there and I thought, oh, that was pretty hard. I had no pain and I just started moving my elbow fine. My wrist was fine. Okay, I thought, okay, I'm fine. Got up and I said to Dennis, Dennis, because he works with these injuries on the field all the time. I said, Dennis, just check my elbow. Do you think it's okay? And he feels, he says, you know what, if you'd fractured it, you'd punch me in the face, it would be so sore. I didn't have any pain because I felt safe with Dennis. Mm. And I kept riding, but my arm didn't feel quite right. And I thought, oh, this feels a bit weird. Kept riding, and then I had to lift my bike over a tree trunk, and I just couldn't do it. There was just no strength. And I thought, Dennis, just check again. He says, you're fine, don't worry. Anyway, I drove myself home, and then, then at home, 
you know, my arm just started tensing up, but I was still not really painful. The next morning we went to the emergency and yes, I had a fairly major fracture in my elbow. But the point of the story is that I felt safe with Dennis. So I had no pain output. Of course, once I saw the x-ray and I thought, oh my goodness, look at this. I did have pain. Does that make sense? So your brain has this total ability to decrease that pain output. So it has an amazing um, ability. So if you look at it, it's that whole upward sort of bottom up pain response going to the brain. But then there's, a, there's this amazing top down response where the brain has this amazing ability to modulate that output. And so as you probably know, we produce our own very strong opioid-like substances that are actually much stronger than any medication that you can take, which explains this phenomenon that if it's something that is really important to you to finish or something that the, bra you know, that the brain thinks needs to happen, you can actually decrease that pain output. I have two examples of that then that mm. come to mind one was when I was a, a younger orienteer there was a, an older gentleman so he was in his 70s and he tripped over in a race um, in the forest fractured his ankle turns out he had like multitude of fractures through this ankle managed to get himself back to the finish area mm. through the forest so he's not on a trail then he gets in the car and he drives from St Helens in northeast Tasmania all the way to Hobart. So it was like a three and a half hour drive. Drove himself on with the foot ankle. on a fractured ankle, and he, had, he didn't take his um, boot off just so that he could get home. And then as soon as he got home, they had to call an ambulance because it was yeah. so bad. So that was the first example. So, but, but he felt safe once he got exactly. home. He was safe, and his brain said, "Okay, now, now deal with his it. injury." because it was obviously an injury and this is the pain output actually tells you you need to do something body you need to go into action isn't that fascinating so and so my second thought when you were talking about it is then if you take the athlete world for mm -hmm. example a lot of people will prioritize their goals and their races by like whether they're like an a goal like the main goal or whether it's just oh you know what it's just like a local fun run that's a c goal if, if you, and I know it for myself, if I was in my C-level goal and I sprained my ankle slightly, I'd be like, oh, yeah, nah, that really hurts. Like, I don't think I should go on. And you kind of go, no, 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 that pain's bad. I'm going to pull out of this race or I'm going to pull back mm -hmm. from it. But if that was your A-level goal, you would just, it would happen, but you just would keep going. And yep. is that, so by even like, prioritizing something over some occasion over another is that almost starting that that brain opioid response absolutely absolutely ah, that's fascinating it is very fascinating it's very fascinating so there are some people that don't have these nociceptive drivers and so they have no pain response as such and they tend to die young because they they don't have that warning signal so once you have that pain output your body then responds and so your whole system responds so in terms of musculoskeletally what tends to happen is that pain tends to inhibit the small in the small stabilizing muscles around joints but it tends to really tense the big moving muscles so going back to my elbow my whole arm was just locked up which is a really amazing response of the body because it allows for splinting and for healing to take place okay mm -hmm. 
However, if, so, well, we'll go back to that. So the next sort of system that gets activated by that pain output is your nervous system, which is divided into the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah. Sympathetic nervous system is your fight-flight response. So your, you tense up, your heart rate goes up, your breathing becomes more shallow, blood flows to your big moving muscles so that you can actually activate that system yeah. and that you can you know uh, um, run away from the saber-toothed tiger yes yeah got it so that goes into action as well which again is really helpful in that situation to get you where you need to be the next system that gets involved is the neuroimmune system Mm. And so, as you know, our whole immune system generally just floats along quite happily and hums along and is quite good. When something comes that is not so great, like a bacteria or whatever, your immune system runs in and tries and copes with this invasion, so to speak. So your neuroimmune system, if you think of it, your whole nervous system, where this whole response is, all these responses go along, 90% of them are glial cells, which are immune cells. So if there's this constant traffic going on on that system, those glial cells are not happy because they keep running around thinking, where do we need to go? What do we have to do? How can we help? And so that whole immune system is in a raised awareness state. Does that mean that your immune function is compromised or is it almost heightened because of that? So initially it's heightened. Yeah, okay. But in the persistent pain state... If your all these systems are heightened on that level, the system actually can't cope anymore. So I'll just go to the last system, and then mm. we can talk more about. Yeah. So in acute pain, all these systems—that's fine, that's great. And if they are activated for a short period of time, that's not a big problem. The yeah. problem then becomes when it becomes more permanent. So the last system, or one of the other protective systems, is your neuroendocrine system, and the yeah stress response and the HPA axis and all of that so that will really also so that's your cortisol levels which initially will go up but then they really become depleted over time so again you know to be stressed for a short period of time is okay it's great it actually sharpens your awareness and your cognition but if that persists over a long period of time that eventually just depletes so this is all in an acute response this is all fine because your body is trying to protect you remove you allow healing to take place so that's all okay however when pain then persists and healing has taken place so as we said sometimes there might still be some biomechanical issue that can drive that pain response like that increased muscle tension or whatever but a lot of times healing takes place so if you think of my bone that I broke mm. six weeks you know to really get together and then another six weeks to consolidate and then my bone is really healed muscle heals much faster because it's much more much better vascularized ligaments tendons take much longer and there you again have to check what are you doing in the meantime so in terms of loading or whatever so when pain persists and we sometimes don't know why that system goes there and there are a lot of factors again or contributors that can maintain that heightened awareness state mm. um, and so and a lot of things fall under this sort of heightened awareness state so things like IBS irritable bowel syndrome ah. chronic fatigue fibromyalgia PTSD 
rheumatoid arthritis, any of those sort of autoimmune diseases fall under that. Trauma is a huge one. Bring up trauma. So when that happens, those little gates that initially get activated by that nociceptive response, the whole system becomes more effective. So the gates will stay open longer and they will open faster. So with a smaller response, they will actually start activating that whole loop going. Oh, I see, see. So, okay. so that's in a peripheral level, so in a local level, and then but that same thing happens in the central nervous system so from the spinal cord up. So you get this amplification of that pain response at a peripheral level, at a spinal cord level, and then in the brain as well. So if we were to take an example of that, so someone who has experienced a stress fracture before, Mm -hmm. which is like traumatic for an athlete. I know some, you know, quite elite athletes who've had some pretty bad stress fractures and they get over it and they spend their 12 weeks or so doing their rehab. They build back into their training. They get stuck back into hard training. They get back on the athletics track where the original stress fracture sort of happened. And then they suddenly think, is it coming back? Is that, I mean, yeah, so is that what you're saying? So in this moment, they've got a heightened awareness of the activity they're doing, the fact that they've had it before, so their history, the location where they are, the time of year, the time of day, and it can bring on a heightened pain response. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. And then you add into it, okay, are they training for another really important event? Yeah. How important is it? How salient is it? And this is where the brain is amazing because it'll really decide a lot of the, how important is this thing? So do you think then in that, if you were to take that situation, that when you're trying to bring someone back, let's take it back into that activity, Mm -hmm. so sport for, for now, that one of the best things that you could do when you, if you were coaching that athlete or advising them is to put them in a different environment Absolutely. or with a different training. Yep. Okay. So change the location, change those memory tags that the brain has started associating it with. That's funny because, and I've brought it up actually a couple of times on the podcast, but only as sort of like a fleeting comment, but we, um, as you know, we do our tours and a lot of the tours are overseas. So people have booked onto this tour like 12 months in advance. And they've got really excited. They've probably been excited before they book on the tour. Then they think I've got to train for this because I'm going to be running in the mountains in Italy. And then almost without doubt in the two months leading up to a trip, I will get two or three out of the 10 to 12 people contact me and say, look, I'm, I'm really scared. Like I've got flare-up of ITB. I've been with the physio for the last month and he's warning me that, you know, I might not be fit enough. Or, and, and, it, and it becomes almost like a dramatized situation. And my comment to these people every single time is that things disappear on tour. Niggles always disappear on tour. And Japan just recently was a classic example of that. You know, someone who had ITB pain for six months and it went away in Japan. I mean, yes, we did a few tips and tricks and try this and let's do this, but it went away <laughs> in Japan. And I'd always assumed it was because of the decreased cortisol response that we can um, create, like decreasing their stress levels, giving yeah. them better sleep and nutrition. Yeah, but that all helps, Annie. So it all contributes. But it's also the change of scenery. 
you know, and it's you giving him tips and you even writing back your email and saying, you know what, you're going to be okay. That physio that this person's seeing should be saying, look, you'll probably be fine. Saying you're not fit enough for that trip just increases that danger message to this brain. So, you know, this is the way, the way we talk to people is hugely important. Okay. So it's about creating that, that safe environment without like bubble wrapping a person and catastrophizing the pain. Yeah. 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 That's a really fragile line to walk. It is. So you can't, I mean, obviously you can't also lie to the person and say, look, you're going to be totally fine. You can run on a fracture. That's absolutely not true. So you still have to stay within reason, within reasonable healing times, for example. So if you said to somebody who emails you six months or whatever, six weeks out of it to say, oh, I've just been diagnosed with a stress fracture, you probably wouldn't say, look, it's all going to disappear no. because you, we know that stress fractures take at least 12 weeks to heal. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you obviously stay very present in terms of the realities of tissue healing. So you definitely take that into account. But once tissue healing has occurred and you've corrected biomechanical um, issues as much as possible, then your whole mind plays a huge role. So I guess the way you think, what you believe, how your emotional response is, your confidence in your body plays a huge role because that obviously with repeated injuries takes a huge nose dive. I feel like you're speaking at me as you say that. Because, <laughs> I mean, I think, like, that is something that I think about a lot. You know, as in, it's hard to imagine your world without being able to play. And when you've had a couple of niggles that have been, you know, pretty difficult to get through. So in my time, it's been an ankle reconstruction. I've had back bouts of back pain and I've had Achilles flares, which all pull you to a pretty dramatic halt. Like it frightens you to think of your world if you suddenly couldn't do those things that you love to do. And so I think in that in that small respect it heightens every single niggle that you would have and also for me it's double trouble because to be able for instance to be active is also my work yeah and I'm always very conscious that I can't build an entire business around just playing in the mountains with people that there needs to be a harmony because what happens if you can't do that but it definitely heightens you to when that little Achilles starts to grumble again you know you're like (laughs) is that is this that moment is it coming now (laughs) and then you become hyper vigilant so then you start scanning your body and you start thinking oh my god that's that oh and I think it's getting worse and so what is very fascinating in your brain the changes that happen in your brain as well is that neurons that are wired together will start firing together so if you have that niggly thing that sort of neural pathway is becoming smoother and smoother and more and more effective which is actually not that helpful so it'll start firing sooner and then that area where it goes to in your brain to that one particular neuron Hmm. over time the neurons around it will start firing as well because they are wired together and then it seems like the injury is spreading and you think oh my god this is getting even worse now my terrible yeah but it's actually not related to actual tissue damage this is more and that whole sensitized nervous system that is just going 
on and on and on. Oh my god! <laughs> so it's it's, it's so, very fascinating. It's fascinating, Issa. Like, because I mean, I'm just like hearing it, and I'm like, I mean, it's it's hard not to be like, oh, you know, I can see how I've bought into that that cycle where it might start just with your Achilles, but that's been going on for a while, and now it's six months in, and now why is my knee getting sore? But I never get knee pain, and and then you're like, is my back getting sore? Maybe is all because of this compensation like and you start to get into that mentality of and feeling sensitized but you don't know how to get out of it yeah but so i think i mean and i need to caution you that you need to still look at so if if you do if you are limping or if you've changed your technique of running because your body's trying to protect you yeah it will affect other areas up the link so you definitely need to make sure that they are actually functioning well but also being aware of how your nervous system becomes sensitized because this is really important. Yeah. So, and it actually, these are actual changes that are taking place. So this is when I go back to the pain is always real. Mm-hmm. It is there. You know, this is your pain output. And everybody's pain output is very different. So, for example, I mean, they've done, if there was just this, this very straightforward injury uh, uh, going up to the brain pain output we would all feel the same pain so they've done a lot of research around medical students for example who have to put their hand in ice buckets if that was the only way we would feel pain we would all have the same pain output mm. but there are huge variations from 0 out of 10 to 10 out of 10 and very huge variations in time as well so it is because everybody brings their own personal and emotional experience towards that pain and situational experience you know so in a day-to-day world i know people that can be highly sensitive to even small pain like oh wow that water's really hot but then can go out into like a hundred mile race. And I was talking to an athlete this morning who got into like nine hours of the serious hurt locker, but she remembers nothing about that. And we talk about that as like our bubble environment. And I know I have a strong bubble. I can get in a bubble and I won't feel anything, but I'll come back and I'll be like, oh, that scratch really hurts that I got on my knee, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's amazing how you can situationally create that environment. I guess it's that meaningfulness thing Absolutely. That we were talking about. It earlier. is how meaningful is it, how important, how salient is this to your brain, which and the brain's most important function is to protect you. <laughs> but so this is where we then get into trouble with persistent pain more because society then believes that if you have pain somewhere you need to fix it. Yeah. But if that the healing has really occurred but the nervous system is still really sensitized in that really you actually need to work with the nervous system and therefore in a way retrain the brain to settle that nervous system down yeah and this is where you know changing the environment starting with something that's very easy you know adding music in making it different or adding things in that might even distract you so those are all those yeah. sort of techniques where you then start and trying to decrease that sensitivity of that nervous system i really want to get to that but i wouldn't mind just asking one more question and it's around the um the increase in imaging and Um, medical technology Mm. that is out there now that's meant to help diagnosis Mm. 
but I know a lot of people um you know conversations on tours conversations with athletes when I'm consulting who have had you know MRIs of knees and joints and they've got degenerative changes and they've been warned not to do too much and they suddenly become really heightened to the pain is that a real problem that we're starting huge. to okay absolutely huge problem because imaging doesn't actually relate to tissue damage so you can have somebody who's knee x-ray looks absolutely terrible in terms of degenerative changes and they will have minimal pain and you might see somebody who's got very minor changes or even none no changes and they will have huge amounts of knee pain so in low back pain for example 85 percent of imaging does not correlate with their symptoms at all yeah so and i think we as a medical or healthcare profession we need to really change the way first of all we use imaging because that in itself just doing the imaging can obviously create this huge catastrophizing around their their issues and secondly just normalizing that i've got a chart at work where all the age groups are represented and like 50 percent of 50 year olds will have disc bulges it's totally normal and they don't necessarily have back pain Mm -hmm. so if you find and and you know if you do an mri of your back and you find an a disc bulge this does not mean that that is therefore your your source of pain quite unlikely a lot of times not but we use that then to start catastrophizing and in fact for low back pain what is actually a much higher um uh, uh how do you call that um uh, pr- projection or oh, not yeah. projection no what is it um uh highly sense no what a pro- much higher prognosis of people oh, who are yeah. not doing well with low back pains if they catastrophize yeah okay so disc bulges are actually not even indicative of low back pain but if you start catastrophizing over it your prognosis is much worse can can it go so far as okay so i'm going to put myself in my shoes again for a moment so i um got a flare of achilles tendonitis about a year ago um and it was it was a legitimate flare like I just went from zero to hero on a running tour we did a 65k day I wore shoes that I hadn't worn for like a year I was probably really silly but I'd had an, a grumpy Achilles for like a couple of years about mm-hmm. 24 months earlier and it was a really awful time like because you felt like totally crippled by it and then we moved back to Tassie and it disappeared change of environment um and I hadn't had it for a while but when it came back I thought you know this is that time it's back again and what do I do and I started seeing a physio who got um a scan done on it and it showed degenerative changes in my left Achilles so I kind of, we went through the whole management protocol. We did everything right. I went overseas. I went, you know, was able to do lots and lots of exercise. But what I started noticing was when I got home, the pain went back up a little bit again. But I also noticed that I'd get like little bits of swelling near the tendon and then it would disappear again. And then I get a little bit. And I'm wondering if you get a heightened awareness of pain does it also start sending stuff back to that absolutely so swelling can come even though the tissue itself is totally capable of coping with the load yep 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 so that's that whole neuroinflammation it's that whole body's response saying god you've got to do something here you know and that inflammatory response is your body's way to trying to heal or cope with this okay so you definitely get that 
damaged. With ARC tissue damage, you can have inflammatory responses. Hmm. So if we were then to talk about treatment of pain, it, my brain, when you were talking and just starting to introduce the topic just before, was going, it's all back to front. Because when even when we talk about needing to address biomechanics before we can work out, address someone's pain per se, to me, I'm going, I could have run like this since I was a toddler with relatively poor biomechanics that, yes, from the outside looking in, could look like it would contribute to an Achilles injury, but that might not be the cause. Does, does that make sense? So, like, do we need to, like, address the way our brain is perceiving the pain and potentially try to settle that down before we kind of work out what is actually going on? I think, no, I think it is probably the other way around. You need to make sure that biomechanically you're fine. That, okay. You know, you, you need to check that you're dealing with that. So when I'm saying that, so the approach that we really use is called the biopsychosocial approach. So you do look at the bio and you need to make sure that you have missed something, mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes low back pain can mean that there is cancer or an infection or a fracture or whatever so in that regards if you suspect that then imaging is absolutely required to rule out that you don't have that but then once you've sort of done the biomechanical stuff absolutely you need to look at the psychosocial bits as well Mm -hmm. so where do you like where do you start I mean, one in five, my understanding is one in five Australians have some kind of persistent pain, mm-hmm. which is like extraordinary when you think about it. I mean, isn't that going to be like bigger than most of the chronic diseases all put together? Like, it, it virtually is. So, and I mean, I guess the big thing is pain could be anything. If you think of people, people who go to the doctor often have pain. People who go to the physio mostly have pain. They don't True. come to you and say, oh, you know what? I think my strength in my left calf is less than my other one. And that's not a concern because they only come to you when there is that pain, pain. output, which is a warning signal saying, oh, go and look, check it out. The problem is, so, and this is really important when you have acute pain. As I yeah. said, there are people who do not actually feel pain and they are usually the ones that die young. So it's important to, when you, you know, you wouldn't, otherwise you would keep walking on a fractured ankle yeah, and you would cause further tissue damage. The problem then becomes though, when that pain becomes more persistent, you actually then have to treat it differently. So that, that you don't... Because if you think of it, if you've sprained your ankle, you might limp for a week or so just to protect it, you know, and you, you might not go for a run. But if you kept limping, despite the fact that the ligaments have healed, you will change all sorts of other mm-hmm. biomechanical links and, and, and problems, and you uh, have many more problems afterwards. So it's really thinking, okay, when is that tissue healing complete, or have I looked at the biomechanical drivers that I can look at, that you then start looking also at the... Or you can often do it con- congruently, p- particularly if somebody has persistent pain that has lasted on for a long time. And then you look at all these other contributing factors. But these contributing factors, you know, I mean, they're there from the start, yeah. as we've discussed earlier. But what, 
what predisposes someone from like having a, a needle or a minor injury and it becoming a chronic problem mm. so like, these yeah so these some one one we don't quite know these are genetic factor okay there's definitely a nutrition factor so okay. anything that's pro-inflammatory will continue driving the system so so we're talking sugar absolutely caffeine sugar caffeine nicotine alcohol processed food all the big no-nos really um, I mean, we know, for example, that red meat is fairly acidic and therefore inflammatory. So anything that's sort of pro-inflammatory food stuff will drive that system. And then I guess any intolerances that are not diagnosed or like yep. in the way. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then there's any pre-existing anxiety, depression, those sort of things predisposed towards that as well. Um, so your mental health factors are huge previous trauma because I often look at it even um, you know you have a cup and so yeah you might have a bit of uh, you know stiffness in your ankle or you might and you might have a little bit of back pain and you might have a little bit of stress in your life but suddenly you get another injury on top of it and your body actually can't keep can't cope with all of that all these different stressors together and your cup will overflow and then that's when you it just says, well, I can't deal with this anymore, this is too much. So then you might do, work with this and say, okay, I'm going to take away some of that stress and actually, well, I don't feel pain anymore, it's much better. Hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So you've, if, you think of it, if you think of that cup, how much is sitting in that cup already? And it might just be a simple little thing that actually makes the cup overflow. You think, oh gosh, this is ridiculous. This is such a little thing. Why am I in such a state? But it's because you've had to hold all this. And the, remember that our memory system is huge. So your brain will always keep those memories. So people that have had a lot of stuff happening as well, they seem to be less tolerant over time. Yeah, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, very much so. Or people that have had to, so they're even saying to when children sort of under five have had surgery, that is regarded as a fairly traumatic experience because you can't explain to them, look, we're doing this because of our, but they just have this massive pain response from all the surgery and they tend to be more um, predisposed towards more persistent pain and if they've never worked with anyone or never had the ability to sit down and un and hear this and understand mm -hmm. this information does it does it continue to grow out and out and out as they get older so yeah. they become so much more heightened as they get older yeah yeah that's really yeah. fascinating yeah yeah and so yeah. this sort of heightened alertness is something that we even sort of we call it central sensitivity syndrome so your system is just on that slight alert all the time. So if you think of yourself as sitting in your house and your car alarm goes off and you run outside and check, oh, what's happening? Somebody's stealing my car. Oh, no, nobody's stealing my car. You go back in again and suddenly it goes off again and off you run again. So your system is constantly on this alert and it just gets totally exhausted about it with this. So this is where this whole fatigue comes in. So most yeah. people that have persistent pain are also really fatigued because their system is just on that slight alertness and it just can't cope with constantly checking out these alarms going off that are actually just set too high. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm, so it's completely. that whole system that you need to work with. And so this is when, you know, when we work with people, we look at the whole person, not just 
their knee but you know you try to find out as much as possible that's going on other stuff in their lives and if you can you might not be able to totally solve their knee pain but you might be able to reduce their stress about this a little bit or work on you know their home situation a little bit more or work on communication with their partner a little bit more so all these things will then help to settle things down yeah. a little bit or empty that cup a bit so that it's not overflowing all the time and that's fascinating because I mean, the cup is like a, like a um, pavel, no, not a pavlova, a trifle. That's what I'm trying to say. My grandma makes amazing trifles. But like, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about it that when I work with athletes and they have pain, often they don't cope at work or, mm-hmm. you know, home just feels really stressful. But when the pain, we get the pain to settle down because we change their training environment and the way they think about their training, then suddenly they seem to be able to cope with everything again. So yeah. it, it can be Absolutely. either way around. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Because having pain all the time it be, in itself becomes a huge stressor to yeah, the system. Yeah, it does. It's and awful. it affects your communication, your relationships, your sleep, your thoughts, your emotions, your thinking. So it affects the whole world. And I often draw a little diagram. I say, okay, this is, you know, Hanny before she had persistent pain. Not that she had persistent pain. Mm-hmm. And you had, you know, fantastic work. You know, really enjoyed your work. You were able to, to work with your stress by running, by doing all these things. You really loved that. You know, you had great friends, you had uh, whatever else is going on in your life, and now suddenly you've had this pain. You can't work anymore. And you can't do the things that you really love doing anymore. So remember, when we do the things that we enjoy, we produce our own endorphins. So we actually have our own medication cabinet that can modulate that pain response. So again, if people end up not being able to do the things that they love doing, yeah, that will really impact that as well. And with that then comes all this other stuff. And so then, you know, the life of a person with persistent pain just totally shrinks. And I often say, okay, how can we start expanding it a bit again? Yeah. So, and let's look at what are the activities that you really loved doing beforehand? Can we get back to them? Or maybe do we need to start at looks look at looking something else? Something different. Yeah. Something that but but it needs to be obviously there something that would be important to them. So even in terms of athletes, there are athletes who you have say to them sometimes, Well look, it's probably not the best thing for you to run anymore. You know, your knees are really probably not that great. How about if you you know, have you thought about swimming? Have you thought about kayaking? Have you thought about instead of running maybe walking so for example in terms of knee osteoarthritis or degenerative changes we know if there's a certain grade to that that walking more than 10 kilometers is probably not that good for you but you know but walking less than 10 kilometers yes go for it and then substitute that maybe with some bike riding because that's really good for your knee again but it's really important that they start filling out their lives again Mm -hmm. even if it's a little bit different and this is maybe particularly with some more traumatic injury like an amputation or a spinal cord injury or whatever where they have to really reinvent a different life. Mm. It's not necessarily a better life or a worse life, but it's a different a life. life. And if yeah. they can start accepting that and looking out laterally, out of the box, what else could I do so that I could produce my endorphins rather than just sitting at home being depressed getting fat, eating the wrong food, and just wallowing in my pain picture or in my disability picture. That is so fascinating. 
Annie, like I've got a million and one questions, but I won't do that to you today. But I, I wouldn't mind going back a little bit to your, mm-hmm. to your concept of the cup mm-hmm. or the bucket mm-hmm. that gets mm-hmm. full. And I'm, I was working with an athlete even this morning who um, has huge challenges actually with, it's not pain, but it's the vomit reflex mm-hmm. <laughs> to bring it up. It's actually one of the most common issues amongst ultra runners. She was back at this event where she'd previously done incredibly well, but she knows her history of every time she gets in an event that's meaningful to her, doesn't come on in training, it only comes on in meaningful races, then when she gets to around the 30K mark, she gets like bouts of vomiting. Um, Going into this event this year, I asked her, "What, what was your mental state like? And she goes, yeah, you know, actually, like, if anything, I was too excited. My training was going well. I, my, those niggles, I was managing them really well. Work was great. We were kicking some big goals in training. I was running further than I've ever run. And she was just, like, almost on, like, cloud nine. At the same time, she got very lean and mean, so she dropped a bit of body weight. She'd been able to put her body through a lot more stress, I would say, because where I'm coming to is stress is like positive and negative and the body deals with it in the same way. So I imagine like that concept of the bucket or the cup, you could fill it with, oh, that family situation was a bit difficult, but now I've got this really great work environment and training's going well, but that's a physical load and you can fill that bucket up quite quickly. Mm-hmm. But when she get got to this huge race overseas and had all the stress of flying and travel and adjusting to the time changes and then the pressure of this event then they start at night so she was running through the night um that's when the vomiting came back and it went for like nine hours straight (laughs) um i'm wondering where i'm coming to is i'm wondering if that concept of pain sensitization can also be experienced in other neural settings in the body like the vomit reflex. Oh, I'm sure. You know, because I, I think our protective responses are in all sorts of different areas, in the immune response, in the yeah. endocrine response, in the stress response. And and vomiting, if you think of it, is really a constriction of your of your sphincters, right? Like, yeah. So, And that's the same response as the fight and flight response. Fascinating. To a degree. Yeah. Does that make sense? And then yeah. I guess with this with this person, you'd have to think, okay, because she was doing so well, what were her expectations of herself? That was the first question I asked her. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, I really thought I was going to do better than last year because I didn't – and she said to herself, like, I didn't realise how good a run I had last year. All I thought was, that's the benchmark, now I can do better. So she'd already put that pressure mm-hmm. on herself yeah. that she was going to do yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. And pressure is huge. So I often, when we talk about pressure, and, and mostly we actually put the pressure on ourselves. Yes, there's work pressure that your boss puts on you, but generally if you dig a bit deeper, it's usually we put that on ourselves and we have these expectations of ourselves of what we can do. And I often look at it, it's like a backpack, you know, the more pressures you put on, the heavier the backpack becomes. So I would think with this person there that that might have been a huge one. Is like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm doing so well overall. This year I'm really going to get it. Mm-hmm. And then with that huge expectation. That's exactly what I said to And her. that's maybe even in her head was going around, mm, I wonder, you know, the, there was this memory. Is it going to kick in? When is it going to kick in? 
or is it not going to kick in? And so maybe being hypervigilant, maybe constantly checking in with her body is, you know, am I feeling the trigger? Is it going to happen? Fascinating. So what would be your, I mean, there's so much we haven't talked about, like the the sleep and pain, the trauma, the, the diet and pain. We could go into a lot more detail. I'm happy to if you think there's something that I've skimmed over too much. But I guess, like, what would be, I'm fascinated to know, what would be your advice to someone who feels like they have got into that place where they have become a bit hypervigilant around their body? You know, even like I would say I would probably put myself there that I have this awareness that my body is my tool I use it for work it's what I do for enjoyment and I want to make sure that I protect that body so that I can play when I'm 95 and like my grandma (laughs) Um, but yeah what would be your advice to that kind of person I think lead a wholesome so looking at all these aspects of life you know really trying to focus on well definitely how can I look after my body physically but also mentally and nutritionally Mm. and doing the things that you enjoy doing things that give meaning to your life Um, but that extends into all aspects of your life so Mm. you know your relationship your your work looking after your brain doing things that you love doing in terms of stimulation like your podcast probably so looking into all of these things and, and trying to look after your body as best you can, there are things that you can't change. And there's this lovely serenity prayer that I often talk to people. So have the courage to change the things you can. Have the serenity to accept the things you can't change and have the wisdom to distinguish between the two. Because huh. so, there's definitely, at times, there is acceptance that does come in. So our normal aging process if you look at it we have to start accepting maybe that we can't be as fast as we were or we maybe not as strong as we were before and you can work at that but and there was a joke about how you know you'd retire because you then have to actually start looking after your body full-time because you have to work so much harder to just even maintain because as we age we lose muscle mass and bone mass and blah 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 so to actually just even maintain it you have to work fairly hard so but I mean accepting those aspects in life as well so some things that you can't change so if you have had a fairly major injury like I've got a woman who was involved in a car accident and she loved doing yoga but her whole elbow is actually such that that constant weight bearing Mm. is probably not a good thing for her so I've had to say look yeah you can do aspects of your yoga but I would probably not go into all these forearm balances and things because you need to look after your elbow for the rest of your life so try and do something different Mm. and accepting that Mm. and that's such a challenge like for Mm. some people absolutely yeah massive yeah massive particularly if this is your 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 job maybe you know if you're if you're a a mountain biker or whatever and you're a racing person and that's your job that's how you make your money i mean look at all these poor athletes the 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 soccer players or whatever yeah and then you've got all your tradies and builders and you know nurses are on their feet all the time like there's so many careers that are out there like if you just take the work element for now where you know you could see that could be like a huge problem and Mm -hmm. really could trigger that that hyper awareness as well absolutely fascinating absolutely 
and there you sometimes definitely have to go and think okay well I won't I'm not going to be able to do this anymore I'm not going to be a panel beater anymore what else can I do how can I fulfill the needs in my life that allow me to continue to produce endorphins really so I'm kind of I want to like come towards a point of conclusion and I want to do it because part of grabbing you and nabbing you for my podcast was because I mean I know I've known you for a fair while now um and one thing I've like really admired about you is that you absolutely genuinely love playing like when you play you will play unapologetically I'm telling you that but like do you see yourself like that out of curiosity I I think so. I think I'm not a very competitive person, so I don't feel like I have to run 100 miles or, you know, ride as fast as I can, but I do it because I love it, because it just gives me that that zing, that, that sort of energy, that, you know, being able to cope with whatever life throws at me if I've done that. So, but I think I'm also in a very fortunate position. You know, I live in a very beautiful place. We have so many places to play with. So I think I'm just very fortunate. I guess I still have a fairly strong body for my age, but you know, and I have the time to play and to look after my body and my my to after myself rather yeah. than with as a whole thing. Have you had? I mean, other than like say the really acute ones where you fall off a mountain bike and hurt yourself, have you had niggles or a development of grumbles? And I'm just kind of curious how you would manage them knowing what you know I think I'm very lucky again in that you know nothing is that important that I have to keep doing it so if I have a grumble I might say okay well I might not be able to ride but I can paddle Mm-hmm. or I can still walk so I'll have to just change things around a bit and so I think I would also get bored with just doing one thing so I guess I'm lucky in that I have a few sort of toys or things to play with so to speak um, so that I'm not just stuck with one so if one thing doesn't work I'll always find something else that I can do so I guess I and I don't have that pressure well I don't put the pressure on myself to have to do something but I also don't get pressure put on me by by that so by like for example an upcoming race where I feel oh my god I've got a my body has to be in top shape I just do it because I love it and I enjoy it but with that comes sometimes that maybe I don't push myself hard not maybe I could be faster or whatever but I'm just I think I really just go out there because I love being out there rather than working towards something yeah do you do you though have that curiosity about how you can continually improve that health and vitality and playfulness do you are you one of those seekers that is like hmm I read about that how does that work how would that look like in my life would that help me are you that yeah absolutely or could I still do that yeah would that be really cool so this upcoming um uh riding thing that I'm doing this pain revolution so this is definitely something where I'm thinking oh my god the longest day is 160 k's will I be able to do that because in the past if I go on a bike tour you know if we're tired we stop and that's fine it's not like you necessarily have to achieve something whereas with this I will and I will have to be more disciplined with myself to say okay well even if I maybe don't want it I actually have to do a little bit extra just to get myself such that it will be enjoyable Mm -hmm. 
And then do you do you focus in on things like nutrition and getting a certain amount of sleep or do you do you take that same approach that you do to exercise, which is like whole I mean holistic and just mm. whole food like or, or you know, playful like <laughs> just so it's, that's how I kind of observe and I'm wondering if that's how mm. you observe yourself. Yeah, I know. I mean, I guess I love food, so I'll, <laughs> I'll eat anything. And I'm, I guess I'm very lucky in that I've never had any weight issues, so I can really eat anything I like. I've become much more aware of food, and I think it's become much more of an issue in our environment. So just thinking environmentally in terms of meat, in terms of processed food, in terms of sugar, I've become much more aware through my journey of life, particularly with this pain, about how everything really impacts on mm. you as a whole. Mm. So um, I am aware of it, but I also don't obsess about it. So if there's a wonderful piece of chocolate cake, I'm definitely <laughs> going to eat it. Or if I don't sleep that well that night because I'm thinking about all my patients or whatever or something else, it's fine because I'll probably catch up the next night. So, But I guess I'm also very privileged in that I can live like that and think like that yeah so I just I, I, I and I think I'm very thankful so I think the the psychologist that I often work that I work with he always says make sure you express gratitude and I think that's a big one as well mm. so I'm actually consciously very grateful for my life because I think it's a very privileged life that I've led so far who knows what's coming my way still because life will throw things at you and you really don't have you can't really you don't have control over what life throws at you, but you have the ability to, you can control what you do about it or yeah. how you think about it or how you react to it. Yeah. And I haven't had any major thing like that in my life. And again, this is where I consider myself as very privileged. And I often wonder how would I react if something bad would happen would I have what I consider my knowledge would I be able to put it into place for myself and I hope so that's a really I find that really like really genuinely inspiring like to meet a glass you know half full person mm -hmm. as opposed to half empty person and someone you know, like you are incredibly you you express gratitude and I, yeah I find that really inspiring because um, I think it's easy to kind of be a pessimist and to be honest I could imagine it could be so tough working in your industry as well where you are working with people with chronic pain where there is that sort of psychosocial element as well yeah. to what you do yeah yeah well I guess that allows me to be even more grateful because a lot of people have a lot of things thrown at them yeah. and I often wonder how I would react if that was me so people have huge um, challenges in their lives. Mm. And this is where we often think, you know, you often sort of get a feeling, is this a survivor or is this going to be a victim? Yeah. And so that's quite huge as well. Cool. And yes, and it is challenging, but I mean, then I have, I have, the, I have the ability to work part-time or I'm in the lucky situation that I only have to work part-time. So I think yeah. having to do this full-time would be, would be tough. Yeah. I have a, just a couple more questions and then um, we'll finish up. But but I have a real fascination to know how the playful ones amongst us that have trouble sitting still and just, you know, love to be outside and love to be, like, active, how we deal with quiet time, how we interact with quiet time. So, like, if you have quiet time that in your world, like, 
how does ESA react with that and mm. interact with that? And I do struggle with that. <laughs> this is where my daughter says, Mom, as you get older, you actually have to find something where you can sit down more, you know, because you won't be able to run around like this forever. So I've recently started playing piano. Oh, and okay. I really enjoy that. It's very tough. I find it incredibly challenging because I thought I would, it would be easy. Like I usually pick up things very easily, but this is a very tough one for me. But I do really enjoy that. So, um, but I have to work at it quite hard so that, and I love reading and I love that sort of actually, and it's becoming more as I get older, this sort of mindfulness of, of, of turning inwards and in which my yoga has definitely been very helpful as well, yeah. which the, the asanas itself are active again, yeah. but there is definitely that element of quietening your mind and breathing and, and if you look at that really it's that whole settling of that nervous system again yeah yeah it's really interesting actually I had a, a guest on the podcast yesterday so that'll be coming out really soon and um and we were talking about this concept of attunement mm-hmm. and and that was the word that he brought to the conversation and I really love that like being in attunement with what's going on around you with where you are in place and time with what's going on within you and the voice inside your head and um and it was beautiful and that for him is his version of spirituality and I guess I am fascinated by it because I never thought I was a spiritual person but as like I think I've gone on this journey of trying to kind of understand how we can be our best version of ourselves mm-hmm. and to, to literally find our feet. I've realized like how important that, that, that um, mindfulness and quietness and spirituality is and how to find that. And I think mm-hmm. different people find it in different ways. So I'm kind of very yeah. fascinated by that question. I think it is in all of us, but, you know, we sometimes hide it or we don't know how to access it. And I think this is where that quiet time is really important and you might even find your spiritualness by being up on the mountain yeah i definitely agree with that you know where you yeah. don't necessarily have to concentrate on how fast am i going to get there or is my technique okay where you just where you are you are just you you are you, what you 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 are being yeah rather than you know concentrating on so you're concentrating on the breath on the on the air on the smells on the colors on the you know and just feeling your body so that in itself can be a mindfulness so mindfulness can be in a quiet room you know but it can be up on the mountain I completely agree and I think at the beginning of that journey for those people who haven't been on it I think you do have to turn in and turn your attention to it and practice it and it it is practice but the more in tune you become then the more it can become like a part of your life and can come out in different settings and you can begin to can not control that because I don't like that word but like yeah bring that presence into the activity in which you're doing and I certainly have found like that in running and I can imagine if we brought that conversation of pain back into the discussion at this point to be able to have that attunement to what's going on around you and presence in what you're doing can really help to settle that oh absolutely absolutely i mean there are two different ways even of where they talk about interoception where you actually really go into that pain and really experience that pain Ah, okay mindfully and really checking in what is this actually doing to me what is it doing to my systems wow that's really amazing or the opposite to that would be your distraction and okay I know you're there you're and 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 it's fascinating how people often call it like one lady says my pain's my companion it just sits here 
it's not bad it just sits here so and she's actually worked it to become like that which is really fa fantastic and I said oh that's great well done you know and obviously she's going to try and shrink that companion a little bit over time but it's not a negative thing mm -hmm. um, but you can so you can have that sort of introception where you really go into that pain and really feel it and really sort of accept it as yes you're there in a non-judgmental way or the other option is to try and distract yourself from it but, wow you know. so and my final question on a personal note is do you have like that internal chatter in your brain like the, you know the little like <laughs> I call him my inner him and he's like the should should could should could kind of character absolutely yeah. I think we okay. all have it yeah okay don't you think yeah yeah uh, yeah, I think so, but I think for some people it's just noisier. <laughs> absolutely, it's, it's absolutely, and that's I guess in a way where we go back to expectations. What are you expecting of yourself all the time? Yeah, and are they actually reasonable, or yeah. do they really drive that imp into more shoulds and coulds, or can you actually just say, hey, you know, just settle down a bit? I actually don't have to. I would like to but I don't have to. So yeah. it's, again, how much are we expecting from ourselves and is that okay or is that reasonable? Or Yeah. Cool. So let's wrap up. And I wouldn't mind just hearing a little bit about the um, pain revolution. Was that mm -hmm. what it was called? Yeah. So it was 700K in eight days. Yep. Right. Yep. That you're doing in. Yep. What is it? So we're starting in Burnie. Those are these okay. 24 riders and our big hero, Lorimer Mosley, who's an amazing pain neuroscientist. He's just really fascinating and has done a huge um, amount in changing the pain, pain in Australia, actually. So mm -hmm. he's from um, Adelaide, from South Australia. So we will ride from Burnie to, I think... No, I think maybe we start in Devonport, go to Burnie, from Burnie to Cradle, from Cradle to Launceston, Launceston, St. Helens. So we, and we stop at all the local um, towns. And in, so during the day we ride and in the evening we actually educate the local population on pain. So we would do some pain neuroscience education and then, well, how can I deal with it? So what can I do about it? So Lorimer's big mission is to actually take this huge problem that we have mm one in five Australians with persistent pain um, and how can we manage this better so he's going to all these rural communities wow. to teach them about pain and to improve the, the, the lot of lives of people with pain in those communities that often don't have the sort of access they have here in the bigger centres that's interesting because so fascinating when I was like reading up on on that challenge that you were doing and having a having a think about it before the podcast I was I guess the question that floated to the top of my brain is like how do people interact with that when you set out to teach them because I mean I've worked in the ride and walk to school programs I've worked in corporate health programs I've worked in like trying to bring exercise to communities in rural communities and I can't say the engagement has always been particularly high mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if this problem is so prevalent in Australia and in, in, in well in general yeah. um do people engage with it are they fascinated by it? And do people like go, that's me, like one mm -hmm. in five, I'm, I'm, I'm in the one in five category and they come along? Or mm -hmm. is there a, like um, 
a bit like mental health, like that negative connotation that Mm -hmm. you shouldn't have pain. This isn't something that we talk about and therefore Mm. I shouldn't turn up. But I think this is why this is why we're actually trying to change that. Okay, is so to actually that. bring it out to the public, say this is a huge problem. What are we going to do about it? And so the the funds that we will raise will actually be there to educate local healthcare professionals. Okay, with this new biopsychosocial approach. So rather than saying, "Oh, you've got pain, let's fix it. Let's give you medication. Let's try and fix it," rather than saying, "Okay." Well, you have got persistent pain. How can we possibly alleviate your pain? But also, how can we help you to manage this pain? Because not all people that have pain are not working. I mean, most, well, not most, but a lot of the one in fives that do have persistent pain still lead a relatively normal life. Mm -hmm. How can we get people into that category? Yeah, okay. So So it's a a much more, it's a community education including the healthcare provisional. So right. yes, it's just that one evening that might not do much change, but I think that whole ride that is going to be advertised throughout Tasmania, it's supposed to really change our community because we as a community have a big problem with pain mm. because it often has negative connotations. Mm. Oh, you know, this guy's got persistent pain. Oh, you know, it's probably... You know, why do they keep complaining? Oh, God, they've been yeah. complaining about that for yeah. years. And they look normal. Why, yeah. you know, they yeah. maybe they're just dodging the system or whatever. So it's really educating people and the community about pain and getting us as a community to see pain in a different way. It's fascinating because if you don't start the conversation, the conversation is never going to happen. Exactly. And I guess what you're, who you're really talking to on this pain revolution ride are the people that you view to be the champions to continue the conversation. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yep. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. No, I'm excited. And a big challenge. 160K in one day. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a bit of pain in the end of that. Well, that's um, part of the idea yeah. is that the riders actually, you know, can empathize with the people that. that Isa, that was awesome. Thanks so much for that discussion. Um, And we'll put show notes up to the ride and and the um, campaign to raise the funds to do it and, um, and also some of your other resources.